0: Hello, this is Jane Stavem, superintendent of the Sioux Falls School District, and this is our podcast. Join us for an audible look inside the Sioux Falls School District, where we'll put a spotlight on the people, places, and practices of our district. Well, hello everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jane Stavem, your superintendent, and today I have a very special guest with me. Anna Brokenleg Keller has been with our district for many years, but just over um, the last couple of years, you've been in a unique role in our district. And so we want to hear all about that and hear part of your journey, both as a student as well as now a staff member here in Sioux Falls. So welcome. Glad you you could be here. Thank you for having me. So Anna, tell us um, your journey as maybe a kid growing up in Sioux Falls or in the state of South Dakota. And tell me what that looked like um, being a child who was Native American.
1: Uh, Well, I was born and raised here in Sioux Falls. Um, I spent some of my time going back and forth between here and the Rosebud Reservation. I'm an enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my grandparents and a lot of my aunts and uncles and cousins and things all lived in Rosebud growing up. So we spent a lot of time there as well as here in Sioux Falls. Uh, But I went through uh, the educational system here in the Sioux Falls School District as a native student and had a variety of experiences, I guess. (laughs) I I went to uh, the alternative school at the time, elementary school um, at the elementary level. And so back in the day, it was the Irving program, Mm -hmm. um, eventually became the all-city elementary program over the years. Um, And then went through middle school and high school here as well.
0: Well, we must have done well because here you are as an employee, which I think is really unique when you are a product of the same school district that you went to. When you think about what you learned along the way related to the heritage of Native students, did you feel like... Um, that was something that was covered while you were in school, or was that something that you had to rely more upon your family to really fill in those gaps for information and learning? What did that look like for you?
1: Well, I had a variety of different experiences, depending on the age level and, um, that I was at. Uh, my father was a professor of Native American studies at Augustana University for 30 oh, years. I did not know that. That's yes. interesting. So I did get. You had it, whether you maybe wanted it or not. At times. Right, right. <laughs> so I think that a lot of times um, my teachers will refer to uh, my dad or my mom um, for resources or, or materials or information when necessary, and I think both of my parents were also very vocal advocates Mm -hmm. um, when things maybe happened in the classroom that they didn't agree with or didn't think was the most beneficial for Mm -hmm. Native American students. And so over the years, I had a variety of experiences, some positive, some negative, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think all learning experiences definitely for everybody involved.
0: Yeah, and so much so in our state that at uh, a certain point in time, A decision was made to be more intentional about the learning that our students have and i think districts um, go about that a little bit differently but we're going to talk about sioux falls obviously so what are some of the changes that you have seen specific in south dakota that now are part of the learning that our students can get
1: So I think the development of the Oceti Sakawin essential understandings has been huge for our state. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the student population in South Dakota, it's interesting when you look at the uh, demographic breakdowns, because after Caucasian students, Native American students are the highest population across the state. So a little uh, over 10% Mm -hmm. of students in our state um, are Native American or two or more. Um, ethnicities. And so it really is one of their largest demographics that we're teaching. In addition to that, when we think about the history of our state, mm-hmm. um, we're in the on the traditional homelands of the Achete shakoni people, along with some other uh, tribal communities that, that were in this area as mm-hmm. well through the course of history. And so I think it's really important that we consider that and think about that education, not just for our Native American students, but for all of the citizens of our state and what it means to really understand the place where they live, mm-hmm. the history of, of where we all live, and what those implications are for our communities today.
0: Yeah, well said. <laughs> you should, like, be in this field, maybe. <laughs> no, it is, it is, and it's the heritage um, of our state, but it's also the heritage of specific Um, cultures that came long before many other things, and so I think when you think about sometimes how history is traditionally taught, um, there were some missing pieces, and I think the, the essential standards seek to fill in some of those missing pieces, as well as provide um, specifically Native American students that rich history of their very own culture. And some of that is great, and some of that is not so great. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the things that we wanna make sure we are focusing on as that bigger picture, so that our students know who they are and where they've come from, and some of the things that interrupted some of those family histories along the way. Is there anything in your family history that you're aware of um, where maybe that history took a little detour with some of the decisions that were made historically with boarding schools and with reservations? What's part of your history of your family?
1: Yeah, so definitely my family was obviously Mm -hmm. impacted and really, I mean, every indigenous family in North America uh, has been impacted by this history. Um, Both of my grandparents on my dad's side were boarding school survivors. Interesting. And so when I see how uh, that experience in boarding school played out in their life and in um, the education of people in my family as well as um, our knowledge and access to our language, Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy to see those impacts firsthand. Um, and how that all kind of trickled down mm-hmm. over over the years and so for our students today thinking about the impacts not just of the boarding school era but also just the history of ed- education and general education mm-hmm. when it comes to native american studies native history and culture has has historically dealt with a lot of erasure of native peoples. And what was included was oftentimes inaccurate or very one-sided mm-hmm. in its portrayal of of historical events. Um, beyond that, I think sometimes we also get stuck talking about just historical events uh, and historical things to the extent that students today oftentimes, have difficulty seeing themselves Mm -hmm. being represented, whether it's in uh, children's literature or current events, things they see themselves being able to, that impacts Mm -hmm. what students see themselves being able to do and be when they grow up Mm -hmm. and live in the world. And so that kind of representation really does matter a lot.
0: It does. And I think um, when I think about some of that historical significance, it's that what you said, erasure, and that kind of interruption in tradition and things that might have been passed along like language Mm -hmm. um, that that got lost and lost to a, a greater degree. I mean, I think many of us had ancestors maybe who came from another place with a language that then is lost over time, mm-hmm. but it's not for some of the same reasons that we find in native culture, which is is sad. So when we think about today and how we're still trying to, to restore some of those pieces and make language available to students, how many people know the language? And we think of it as Lakota and then Nakota and Dakota are dialects, is that the correct way of characterizing that? Tell us tell us how we should characterize it because I think that's often confused.
1: So when we think about the languages of the Ochete Shakui, there's two kind of schools of thought. Some people talk about different dialects of Dakota, but I do think there has been Nakota speakers over mm-hmm. um, time as well. And then there are definitely lots of Lakota speakers. And they are kind of variances in dialects. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about the English language and you think about, oh my. Uh, you know, various <laughs> terminology in different mm-hmm. regions, and some of the OSO teachers and I were just talking about this yesterday, uh, you know, you think about how people refer to pop what we call Mm -hmm. pop, some people call soda, Soda. some people call it coke, Coke. right? So there's different (laughs) terms all for the same thing just based on the region that you Mm -hmm. grow up in. And the same is true of the languages of the Oceti Mm Shakawi. So depending on the area and region that you grow up in, that will affect the dialect that you were exposed to if you were able to be exposed to language.
0: So what's the capacity for that language still to be taught? Are are many people still capable of that? Is that, are we losing that rapidly? What's the picture of language?
1: After boarding schools, there was a huge drop Mm -hmm. in, in language and language speakers and those uh, who were traditional speakers sometimes didn't share their knowledge, especially with the next generation because of their own personal experiences Mm -hmm. in boarding schools. Uh, I know that was true of my grandparents. Now that changed for them over time. Mm -hmm. So I think when it originally came to their children, they didn't specifically teach them Lakota or Dakota, but the kids grew up hearing it and Mm -hmm. so could understand a lot of what they heard. Um, but it wasn't until the grandkids, so like when well, my grandparents had one of uh, my cousins living with them, that they started again to finally explicitly hmm. teach some of those language yeah, pieces. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so I think that's true of pretty much most of the Native communities across North America. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every tribe, both Ojibwe tribe here in South Dakota and in Minnesota as well, has a pretty purposeful language. Revitalization efforts happening, mm-hmm. especially after Covid, that was one of the huge concerns for native communities here in our state and in other states as well, was the fear of loss of a lot of right. our language and culture mm-hmm. keepers who are our elders. Mm-hmm. And so that created, I think, in a lot of ways a sense of urgency. I think we already had a sense of urgency mm-hmm. and had seen how quickly language was being lost. Mm-hmm. But I think COVID even impacted that even more. And so I know, for example, my tribe, the Sioux tribe, created actual jobs. So they're paying people full time. Mm. And their entire job is to become fluent language speakers. Wow. So predominantly young adults, because mm-hmm. they want this to be able to continue and impact the community. And so their full-time job is to become fluent speakers in order to then help Mm -hmm. translate that language learning into the next generations and beyond. You also see a lot of um, specific language immersion programs uh, throughout the state that have begun in the last few years, Mm -hmm. uh, predominantly starting at the elementary level, really working on full immersion for young kids and partnering that with Uh, language opportunities for parents of those students Mm -hmm. as well so that they really can try to work on having full conversations at home, um, switching that first language back at home into our languages of the Utechi Shakawe. So I've seen everything from puppet shows that have been made (laughs) in Dakota for kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, so lots of different avenues and ways uh, that that has happened.
0: That's good.
1: And we actually had, I think what a lot of people don't know is that even in our armed forces, a lot of people hear about the Navajo Code Talkers, but we did have um, Lakota Code Talkers as well during World War II.
0: Yeah, there's so much history. It's hard to decide what is going to be taught. And that's where those essential standards came in. Talk about how that looks here in the Sioux Falls School District. Where, where do kids um, typically have access to the standards and the instruction?
1: So during our last social studies adoption at the elementary level, we did a lot of work with the Ocheti shakoni owalence Bay facilitators and the social studies committee and worked on embedding those uh, essential understandings at the various grade levels where they fit with their social studies Mm -hmm. standards. And so that's one place where a lot of it at the elementary level has been embedded and incorporated. At the middle school and high school levels, uh, there's been some embedding in the social studies standards as well in those courses. And then in addition to that, we have, of course, our Chetisha Koyowans Bay classes for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And then also we have an OSO, or a Chetisha Koyowans Bay class for high schoolers as well. And then high school, we've expanded that and have a Indigenous Studies class, which is a half- uh, credit selective mm-hmm. uh, for all students, and then our look what we were calling Lakota language, but we wanted to be inclusive of our other dialects, and yeah. so I've retitled our language classes at the high school level, uh, Languages of the Ochetishaka, and one and two, mm-hmm. and those are available to all students at the high school level as well. The middle school language component is really embedded in those OSO classes, so mm-hmm. they focus on Dakota language predominantly, and then that's kind of embedded within their mm-hmm. OSO classes at sixth, seventh, and eighth grade.
0: Good stuff. Yeah, Makes me proud when you talk about it and that it continues to kind of expand and take shape over time and that we have people like you who are dedicated to helping us see what works and then where we can grow from there. So when we think about other supports, um, what else looks different maybe than it did five years ago in our school district for how we support families, how we support students so that they're in school they're successful but sometimes we need supports that kind of shore up other things in life that might be happening what else is available
1: so one of the great things has been our office of indian education liaisons that we have and so we have two full-time liaisons um, and they do a fabulous job of Mm -hmm. working with our native american families across the district um, k-12 and they help families with a variety of different things Um, community resources, whether families have medical needs, Mm -hmm. um, mental health needs, um, additional resources uh, for anything from supporting families in attendance at school, food resources, clothing resources, anything that could be creating a barrier Mm -hmm. in, in their educational setting and success for students and families or liaisons are there to help with. Um, transportation, sometimes emergency transportation, as mm-hmm. uh, short term is needed, things like that. And then also really thinking about how both they and myself can help support families with bicultural communication. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that we don't think about sometimes is that Native Americans and Ochete people are a separate culture. Mm-hmm. And so that does impact uh, the way that we sometimes communicate. I had the benefit of growing up in two cultures. And so one of the things that I learned at a young age was bicultural communication. And it probably happened when I was about four years old. And I had spent a lot of time going back and forth from the reservations to Sioux Falls. And I was very used to the uh, traditional Native family structure where I was related to essentially everybody yeah. in the community. And so anytime I met an elder, you know, I always referred to them as grandma or grandpa. And they were always very sweet. And I was at a local grocery store here in Sioux Falls with my parents and walked up to a very nice, white, curly-haired uh, Caucasian <laughs> woman in the grocery store. And I said, Grandma! And she looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> And I was thought, I was like, wait a minute, mm, that's not the normal response is different I get. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, what, why? I don't. And I think that was my first kind of indicator that something mm-hmm. was different in a different setting than it, what I was used to. Yeah. Um, and so that was my first kind of indicator when I look back at my childhood of bicultural communication and mm-hmm. things not translating like I thought they yeah. were going to yeah. in a given situation. And so I think our families encounter that. And I think our schools encounter that. Mm-hmm. Um, on both ends, trying to bridge that gap and figure out what might be getting lost Mm -hmm. uh, in communication between uh, those two uh, kind of factors. And so just like many of our other liaisons who work with many of our other cultures in our district, thinking about how our liaisons and myself can support families Mm -hmm. if they're going into an educational situation where they might not feel like they have Um, enough knowledge, background Mm -hmm. knowledge or understanding of what's going to happen and on the other side supporting schools when maybe they might need to be communicating things with families and Mm -hmm. might not be understanding why something's not crossing Mm -hmm. um, that bicultural a lens like they want it to.
0: And I think crossing is a key word right there, you are a bridge. Mm -hmm. And we try to build many bridges and sometimes those bridges work very well, sometimes we need to shore them up, and sometimes we need to build a new bridge in addition to the ones that we have. (laughs) Because I think if we know anything about cultures is that they are not stagnant, things change Mm -hmm. and grow and shift over time people come and go so sometimes we assume everybody knows but if you're brand new to our district um, school districts do things differently Mm -hmm. and so we are so grateful to you and to all of our liaisons who kind of foster that bridge building and help us reach out to families when you think about your hopes for the future and you think about our our youngest children right now and the ability for them to both retain their culture as well as focus on a bright future Mm -hmm. what are your hopes and dreams for our school district and for just children
1: oh that's a big question (laughs) i have a lot of hopes and dreams for all of our students i of course have one daughter who's now Mm -hmm. a first grader in our district Um, And I have another one that's going to be in our district very soon. And so when I think about not just them, but but their classmates and the other kids that I Mm -hmm. see, I hope to expand the knowledge for all students about our indigenous history and culture here Mm -hmm. uh, in the state and throughout North America. I hope that they see, that all of our students see, and are able to see that representation of the contributions that indigenous people have made and are making mm-hmm. um, to our current society and opening those opportunities for students, our native students, and what they see themselves being able to mm-hmm. do in the future. I would love to see more language at the elementary level. Um, and I know that you know you and I have discussed a little bit about what that could look mm-hmm. like, how what what might that be like, because we do have a very large district, so what does that look like in right. a district like ours? Um, but I would love to see some kind of language program at some point for our youngest learners. Mm-hmm. And even thinking about some of our early childhood students, uh, it's interesting, I've had an OSO facilitator who reached out and said, hey, I just realized we have all our these, so many Native students in our early childhood programs. Like, mm-hmm. How can I connect with those families mm-hmm. as well? And so thinking about how we can expand that way yeah. as well. And then to continue integrating those at Shakawe Essential Understandings into not just social studies, but into all our right. different core areas um, in order to help all of our students be successful and also to see how that mm-hmm. that piece fits. I know that our recent science uh, study at the high school level, our environmental science teachers and our biology teachers have looked at integrating um, some of those at Chetishakoui Essential Understandings into the
0: science series yeah. as well.
1: So that's really exciting.
0: It is. That's all exciting. And you make me excited when you talk about those things. I think, um, you know, many people may not know when you come to teach or be an administrator in South Dakota, you are required to take a course or a class on Native American culture history. And I I did that, of course, coming a few years ago. And I was supremely frustrated because there is so much there Mm -hmm. and you're right, it touches so many areas. And, and you know you wanna go out and look at places that we know exist in our state and go experience that firsthand. There's food and art and family structure and just so many things. Storytelling um, itself is a, a big part of culture. Mm-hmm. And how do we tell those stories of things that happened historically as well as the stories of now and the stories of the future and we want to preserve all that is rich and beautiful about native american history and culture as well as informing kids for their picture of the future in our city and state too so lots to think about so many good things happening and i'm so glad you're in your role and that we have our great teachers who are doing such a good solid job of instructing and of preserving at the same time, and we need more. So if we have people in our community who um, can contribute, we have expanding after school programs, summer opportunities, and a lot of ways for people to plug in and provide us with their skills and talents and information. So I know they can contact you. They can contact us through our Let's Talk button on our website and we would be happy to plug them in, if not even just to be a mentor. Important to have Native American mentors as well Mm -hmm. for our students so that they see the adults in our community. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to talk with you, and we look forward to a great future. Thank you for having me.